I am so uh, thankful for you being here this morning. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 35, Revelation chapter 22. Um, I want to share something that I believe is pertinent for us in this moment, in this time. Um, I believe that we are all excited and believing for God to bring in a great harvest of souls into his kingdom. I believe that God is going to move in the woke generation. Um, I believe God is going to move in the trans generation. Um, I believe that God is going to move in the, the what they call the modern atheism. I believe God's going to do something in the earth that removes atheism from the earth. Early on in the tribulation period in Revelation chapter 6, there are no atheists. <laughs> um, not only do they believe in God, they know who God is and they believe in the Lamb, which is Jesus Christ. And, and they're trying to hide from both of them. Um, and so it's, it's just marvelous to be alive right now. I believe we're living in the last days. I believe Jesus is coming soon. Um, one of the things that stirs in my heart is to prepare you as, as, a, as an end times believer. Uh, to be able to live and walk surely and strong and steadfast. Um, in the things of the Lord with a great faith. But also we must be a people who compel the multitudes to come. I pray that as people are being brought out of sin and bondage. Um, they're being brought out of sin that is smelly. And is dirty. And on the outward is, is um, irreversible. Uh, whether that is somebody that has changed their sex, whether that is somebody that has lived in Satanism and they have tatted up from head to toe, um, I believe they would be a beautiful addition to the body of Christ. Well, a few of us think that. The rest of you can find another church. <laughs> um, I do desire for the lost to come to Christ. I do desire that. And so as they begin to come in and they sit among us, um, I pray that they will see and experience the genuine love of Jesus Christ for their life. We don't have enough time to put up with our petty offenses. We really don't. It's, it's too far. It's, it's just too much. Probably 90% of the things that you deal with, you can get over. And you just need to get over it. I need to get over it. Thank you, Shaylin. I'm with you. It's all right. That's all right. Um, I'm not trying to be insensitive to your problems, but all of us have problems. All of us have been offended and all of us are offensive. And we need the greatness of God's grace to be able to be in a genuine spiritual relationship with each other. Where we understand the frailty of our life as our God even understands us. And to be patient with one another, forgiving one another, kind to one another. As God the Holy Ghost is changing us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And so as people are coming into the kingdom of God. The experience they're going to have of God's kingdom is the experience they have with you and with me. And I pray that they will find an experience where there is the welcome of the king. There is the welcome of the father. Um, I saw a video, um, just a short little video from Asbury. 
And it was about a man uh, who came into the front of the, the, the place and stood on the platform and publicly repented. And the place went crazy with dancing, with shouting, with joy, with applause. If that guy did not know he was forgiven, I don't know what's going to do it. I pray that we will be that rich in the love of God, that we will be able to celebrate the party that our father throws for the prodigals that come home. It's time for the church to be joyful and festive and happy, rejoicing in the Lord and compelling people that the father's arms are open and they're really extended. Now the world and the lost are not going to know that God's love is reaching out to them unless those arms become flesh. And that's your arms and your life. And I pray that you will demonstrate and manifest God's love to people everywhere. That they will know that God loves them. Not because we say that, because you may say that. There might be a dozen other religious people that say something different. So show them the love of God and show it to them in the word of God. Teach them. Don't just give a passing message. Teach them about the things of God. Charles Spurgeon made this statement. He said, I love to think that the gospel does not address itself to those who might be supposed to have helped themselves a little out of the mire. To those who show signs of lingering goodness. In other words, what Spurgeon is saying is, I would, lo- I would love to see the gospel not addressing itself to people who have a little bit of goodness left and we're going to salvage you or have a little bit of strength left to make your life a little bit better and then we're going to help you. But he says, I would rather love for the gospel to be seen as that which comes to men ruined in Adam and doubly lost by their own sin. They have no goodness to salvage and they have no strength to help themselves. It comes to them in the abyss where sin has hurled them and lifts them from the gates of hell into which they are plunging. Wow, what a beautiful statement. I love that gospel that saves ruined men. I love the gospel that comes to people who are without strength and they are desperate for an intervention of God. In Numbers 35, I want you to read with me just about three verses here, beginning in verse 26, and then we're going to go to Revelation 22. Numbers 35, verse 26. And if the slayer shall at any time come without the border of the city of his refuge, whither he has fled, and the revenger of blood find him without the borders of the city of his refuge... And the revenger of blood kill the slayer. He shall not be guilty of blood. Because he should have remained in the city of his refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer shall return into the land of his possession. And this is just a a little information about something that happened in Israel, which was called the city of refuge. And there was about six of them that were scattered throughout the land of Israel. And obviously what it would imply is this, that if somebody had killed another person 
whether it was intentional or whether it was accidental. Let's say some men were using axes and they were splitting wood and axe head falls off and it hits one of his friends and his friend dies, then this man would have the liberty to flee to a city of refuge and the man who's the man who died, his brother, is trying to avenge him. If that man gets to the city of refuge, then the man's brother cannot come into that city and kill him. He will be able to be able to, he, he will be able to be tried and his case would be able to be argued. But if he's caught on the way to that city of refuge, or if he leaves the city of refuge before that high priest dies, then that man could avenge his brother's death, even if it were accidental, and no questions would be asked. So the city of refuge was a beautiful place for people that were in desperate need of a place to hide, lest they die. Revelation 22, verse 17 says this to us, the spirit and the bride say, come and let him that hears say, come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. There is a message that is coming out of heaven that is echoed by the bride of Christ, which is the church of Jesus Christ. And the cry is to come. You're not coming to judgment. You're not coming to condemnation. You're not coming to be destroyed. This is not just a cry that goes out to the murderers, whether it's intentional or accidental. This is not a cry that may go out to other people that are in some type of crime. It's to those that are hungry, to those that are thirsty, to those that are in need, to those that are perishing, to those that are desperate. The Spirit of God and the bride say, come. I believe this is the hour that the bride needs to get in line with the Spirit and speak the same thing. Come. Come to Jesus. Come and drink this water of life. Come and eat this bread of life. And and need I remind you that Jesus said in John chapter 7, he said to the people that whoever is thirsty, let him come and drink. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus spoke this very intently. He cried to the people that were thirsty and he said, if you want water, if you want living water to drink, he's speaking about himself, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. He didn't say, come to me and drink. He said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And what does that mean? It simply means that there is to be this intimate relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. And what Jesus is speaking, the church should be speaking. And what Jesus is offering, the church should be offering. And so when Jesus Christ calls out to a generation to come and drink, they're going to come to us and we are going to have to have the water. We're going to have to have life in the Holy Spirit. Churches are are practically dead, traditional, mechanical. You you, you can predict exactly what's going to happen in, in, in the average church service. But there needs to be the life and the free flow of the move of the Holy Spirit so those that are thirsty can really drink. It's not so much from a message that's preached, but it's from lives that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're able to give that life out. And so I just want to talk to you for a second about the cities of refuge that we read about in Numbers 35. It's also talked about again in the book of Joshua. As Joshua would enter into the promised land and he would establish these cities 
that were called the cities of refuge throughout Israel. And, it, and, and the name of it is exactly what it is. You take refuge there. You're protected there. You're safe there. Somebody is not going to be able to come in and take your life. But that person that's fleeing to the city of refuge knows that there is a pursuer after them to kill them, to get vengeance, to get justice on their life. And so this person that is fleeing to a city of refuge can waste no time because they're under hot pursuit. And I want to say to you, perhaps to some of you here this morning, but certainly to your friends, to your relatives, to the people that do not know Jesus Christ, there is a pursuer after them. And that pursuer is demanding justice. And that pursuer is the law of God. The law of God that has been able to determine and understand the sin that is in people's lives. That you are guilty and you are worthy of death and you deserve judgment. And the soul that sins, it shall die. And that law is pursuing men in their sin. And men feel this sense of condemnation. And they feel this sense of doom. And men oftentimes are trying to find some type of solution to free them from this pursuer that they cannot get away from. So they, they run into religion or they run into alcoholism or they run into drug addiction or they run into sexual relationships. And they run here and they run there and they get distracted while there is a true refuge for their life. They're getting distracted by other things that they hope might help them because multitudes of others who are running from this pursuer pursuer the law have darted off into these places of distraction as well and it might appear safe for the moment but it's not safe because they're all miserable and they're all condemned and they're still all without hope and there's a place of refuge the city of refuge was was determined it, it, it this is what jewish tradition tells us that that it was it was necessary that these cities of refuge were set up throughout israel for this purpose that whoever needed to get to a city of refuge could get there within the day. They, that, that literally they would be able to get there within half a day. That they would be able, if, if, if they had an accidental murder or an accidental slaying of a friend or an intentional murder. That they would be able to access this place of refuge within the day. And beloved, I want to say to you this morning that today is the day of salvation. Today you have access to the city of refuge. Today you have access to a place of protection. A place that will keep you safe from the law. A place that you are to live until the high priest dies. And the high priest of this city of refuge never dies. He becomes your, your possession and your inheritance and that is Jesus Christ. Not only is this city of refuge to be access, accessed within the day or even half a day, but it was, it was necessary that there were people who would constantly travel the roads. They were employed in the government of Israel and they would, they would check these roads out. And if there were bridges that were washed out, then they would have to restore those bridges because there could be no obstacles in getting to the city of refuge. A man's life is on the line. So he has to get there quickly. And so if there, if there were high places that, that needed to be leveled, then they would be leveled and they would be made straight and the woods would be cleared wherever the people had to get to the city of refuge. There was no obstacles. There was no distraction. There was just free access to it. 
Another thing about the city of refuge that if a man was fleeing to it or a woman was fleeing to it, there had to be clearly marked signs explaining the way, even while the people are moving as fast as they possibly can to get there. There could be no confusion whatsoever as what road they needed to take, what turn they needed to take. If there was a fork in the road or if there was several different directions that could be taken, then the city of refuge had to be clearly marked along the path. And at every turn, it was very obvious which turn you were supposed to take so that they could get there quickly. And so these cities of refuges were, were marked out throughout Israel. The roads were clear. The roads were easy to travel. There was no obstacles on it. There was nothing there to hinder. And all of the signs were marked very, very clearly. And people that were running for their life would be able to get into a city where they would have protection and they would have defense for their life. And they would be able to live and not die. Of course, if they were guilty, then that would be dealt with. I want to say to you this morning, if you will please listen to me. And I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would give us revelation in this. But I would pray that you would understand that that city of refuge in the Old Testament was a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. It was a picture of a place where men and women and boys and girls and The addicts and the drug addicts and the murderers and the thieves and the prostitutes and the unclean and the vile would be able to have a place. Is there a place for me? Is there a place of safety for me? I'm desperate to live and I feel like I'm dying. And I feel like everybody is against me and I feel like I'm being haunted and I feel like I'm being pursued. Is there a place for me? And sad, the sad tragedy is that so many times people have, throughout the decades, if not the generations, they have ducked into a church only to find greater abuse and torment among those people. And it should not be. There should be clear markings to the church of Jesus Christ because really the refuge is Jesus Christ. And we are the house of his presence. And so the real safety that a person has is not that they get to church, but they're able to get to the high priest who is able to make atonement for their sin and who's able to clear them and who's able to justify them and who's able to free them. And they've got to get to Jesus. What good are our churches without the presence of God? I mean, honestly, what good are they without the presence of God? What do we gather for? Some people might be here this morning. You might say, well, the music was a little bit long today. Maybe we're going to probably get out of here a little bit later than I'd hoped to get out of here. What would you have changed to accommodate yourself? What would you have changed? What is it that we would desire? What good are our gatherings if God is not with us? If God is not the chief pursuit of our heart? Where do the clear designations that denote that God is in this place? There's only one thing that can give the road clarity and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who can draw men to Jesus Christ. Draw men to the city of refuge. And our churches have got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't comfort yourself because you speak in tongues. Don't comfort yourself because you've been water baptized. Don't comfort yourself because you say that you have been born again. The Bible commands us to be filled with the Spirit often, daily, all the time. Be filled with the Spirit of God. 
Be filled and be filled and be filled and be filled again. Why? Because men are perishing and they're not going to know how to get to Christ by your theology. They've got to have the Holy Spirit giving them a revelation of the clarity of this road. This is the way to Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only the Holy Spirit. Do you dare think you're capable of preaching something so lofty, something so great, something so magnificent, something that transcends your thoughts? Do you think you can cram that down into human intellect? It is the Holy Ghost that preaches the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who gives power to the testimony of a gospel that will save lives and transform people. And it is this Holy Spirit that we are so desperate for. Because if he's not in it, then the road to Jesus is not clear. People begin to think, I gotta do this, I gotta measure up to this, I gotta look like you, I gotta act like you, I gotta dress like you, I gotta behave like you, and these are all the things that I have to do to be a Christian or get to, no, get the clutter out. All of that's clutter, just let it be Jesus, and let the Holy Spirit manifest Jesus. I'm telling you, they want to come. If there's one thing I hope you've seen over these last many weeks, It's the multitudes, the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that really want God. Why don't they want to be with you? Why don't they want your religion? Why don't they want to pray with you for an hour? Why do they fly from Bangladesh and Indonesia and India and China to go to Asbury with a bunch of students that are not professional musicians? And they don't have to make the lights dark and the place black. And have all these modern techniques. Why do they want to go there and pray? It's not because of students. It's because God is there. God is there. And the one thing I pray that we would learn is that people want God. Our young people want God. We're tired of church. We're tired of the gimmicks. We're tired of the games. We're tired of the planning. We're tired of the committees. We're tired of the professionalism. We just want some raw, spiritual living here with God. So how do you cut things short so that we can fit into our time restraint? Forget it. Forget it. It's just not going to happen. certainly not going to prepare you for war. And we are soldiers of Jesus Christ. It's not going to prepare us for war. So we as a church are desperate for the presence of God. And we're desperate for the Holy Spirit to move through our life and minister through our life. Please, for God's sake, ask the question to God. I mean, don't just sit there. Ask the question to God. Pray while you listen. God, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? When was the last time I compelled somebody to Jesus? When was the last time somebody saw Christ in me and said it? Come on, guys. For God's sake, for Jesus' sake, let the Spirit of God fill you. Everything you're wanting is in the Spirit of God. The joy, the healing, the power, the presence, everything is in the Holy Spirit. The very thing that you want is in the Holy Spirit. The reason you're at church today is for the Holy Spirit. But you know what you'll do? You'll sing a song, you'll have an altar service, and you'll leave without ever being filled. 
And another week will go by. And we'll have to be coached again into how we come to God and how we worship God and how we behave before God. We'll have to deal with our offenses. We'll have to deal with our, our petty problems. We'll have to deal with all of our little, little things that come up every single week. And, 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 we're, and we're just constantly coerced or constantly moved or constantly coddled into a particular place. Let's be soldiers. Oh, let's be soldiers. Let's be filled with God so that there can be a clear path to Jesus Christ. That is the Holy Spirit and the gospel that he preaches. And I also say to you, they need to know they can come today. They need to know they can come. You can come just as you are. You don't have to take a bath. You can come. You don't have to hide your tattoos. You can come. You can come. If I can get you to the king. If I can get you to the father. If I can get you to the high priest, he knows what to do. I don't. But he knows what to do if I can get you there. Oh, God. There would be such an outpouring and such a need. Imagine if the prodigal son had met with his elder brother. I want to come home. What do I need to do? Can't imagine the disaster of that conversation. But he just goes home. Dad meets him. And dad makes everything right. Jesus makes everything right. Jesus knows what to do. Oh, for a church filled with the presence of God. And it's not this. It's not this. It's not this. It's you. He fills the place because he can feel you. You're, you're receptive. You present yourself to him. And he fills you. So two things I just want to say to you about this. I want to say this, that the church of Jesus Christ is the city of refuge. And that's why there are churches everywhere. Because the testimony of Jesus is everywhere. And in places where there is no church, there needs to be one. In countries where there are no churches, there needs to be one. I hope you gave a good missions offering today. Because there are people right now that are depending on us every month to send them support so they can continue to get the gospel out in countries where we just recently had a pastor killed and now we're trying to help his wife and kids. Because this is not a game to people in other parts of the world. And it's quickly being transformed to not be a game in America. I'm just trying to prepare you for end times living. To be ready. To be the city of refuge. And there are two things that I want you to understand about the city of refuge. Number one, we must understand what the house is all about. We must understand what, if you will, the city is all about. And Jesus made this very clear. My father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And that's what we should be. We should be the house of prayer. We should pray. That's what should characterize the life of God's people. Not saying prayers, but enjoying God, enjoying God's presence. There are two occasions during the life of Jesus when he went into the temple. And when he went into the temple, the temple was filled with people who were selling merchandise. Now, the the real problem with that was this fact that the temple was so filled with merchandise 
that men and women could not get into the temple. Which represented the presence of God. They could not get to God's presence. Because there was so much merchandise within the temple. So Jesus sat patiently and made a whip. And after he made the whip, he started to use it. And he turned over the tables of money. And he cleared the temple out. And when he cleared the temple out, what happened? The sick. The lame. The blind. They all came to him. And what did he do? He healed them all. Because this is a place of refuge. I believe with all of my heart. That if we could really let the Holy Spirit bring us into a life of intimacy with God. I don't want to use the word prayer because that's so traditional in your mind. That people don't even have The real capacity to pray anymore. They say things to God. But there's not real prayer. There's not real intimacy. There's not real conversation with God. It's basically one-sided. But to have that intimacy with God. If we we could get to that place. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God's presence comes. And then people would begin to come to us. And who would begin to gravitate to us? Not those that don't have the need of a doctor. But those that need a doctor. Those that are sinners that need forgiveness, they're the ones that are going to come. And when they come, because it's a house of prayer for all nations, everyone is welcome. There's no racism in the house of God. There's no racism in the presence of God. There's no racism among the people of God. It just just does not exist with God. It may exist with people, but it doesn't exist with God. And it shouldn't exist in God's house because the Holy Spirit will not have it. And so people can come and whoever they are and wherever they come from and whatever they've done, he's going to heal them, he's going to meet them, he's going to deliver them, he's going to free them because he's the God who does it. Oh my God. Don't you just want a church like that? And don't say preacher, produce it. No, let us together walk in the Holy Ghost. And let God do it. The gifts of the Spirit are in all of us. Jesus gave you his name to pray in. He gave you his name. He said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will do it for you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will do it for you. And we don't understand that. Because most of the time we're not really taught that. So we think praying in the name of Jesus is saying a prayer. And then at the end of it we say, in Jesus' name, amen. As though now we've prayed in the name of Jesus because we put this little magical phrase at the end of our prayer. But if we really understood the magnitude of Jesus giving us his name and what that implies. Then we could have a lot more authority. Not, not boastfulness or arrogance with God. But authority when we pray to believe it's actually going to be done. And so you see this in the Old Testament when men would pray to God whether they were being attacked by a country whether they were suffering a calamity or a famine or a disaster naturally in their, in their, in their countries or their lands, men would get before God and they would, they would call a day of convocation and they would gather and they would pray. And what did they do? They prayed, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's how they prayed. They prayed in that name of Abraham. 
They prayed in the name of Jacob. They prayed in the name of Isaac. What were they doing? They were praying covenant promises. We are the sons and the daughters of Abraham. We are the sons and the daughters of Isaac. We are the sons and the daughters of Jacob. You said, if war breaks out against us, and we came to this house and called upon you, you said you would hear us. You said that, God. You said it to Abraham. You said it to Isaac. You said it to Jacob. It is covenant promises, and we believe it. Now protect your people. And God did it. God did it. They prayed in the name of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now we get to pray in a better name. Hallelujah. We get to pray better promises. Hallelujah. We, we, we don't go before God and, and, the, and say, oh God, in the name of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Lord, Lord, would you do this in our city? We, we have, we have murder every day. We've got racism in our city. Oh God, would you do something about it? And God says, well, maybe. I don't know. Um, I'm going to require a lot more sacrifice from you, a lot more fasting from you, a lot more pain from you, because I don't know. I just, I don't know, maybe. Maybe if you prayed in Abraham's name, Isaac's name, Jacob's name, that might be the answer. You don't know. But we're given another name to pray, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that Jesus that I preach is not yes and maybe. But the Jesus that I preach is yes. And the promises of God are in him, yes and amen. And so now when you go to God and you pray, because this is the house of prayer, this is the place of God's presence, the church of Jesus Christ is the place of God's presence. This is the manifestation of the kingdom of God as best right now as it's going to be on the earth is the church of Jesus Christ. If men are looking for God, it's in the church of Jesus Christ. If men are looking for the way to God, it is through the gospel of Jesus Christ preached by the church of Jesus Christ. The spirit and the bride say, come. And so now we gather together in the name of Jesus Christ and we're able to pray the covenant promises of God that are in Christ Jesus, which are yes and amen. And oh, Father, I come to you now in the name, in the covenant promises that you've established with Jesus Christ, that there is healing, there is deliverance, there is victory, there is power over the devil, over the enemy. There's power, God, to reach my people, my grandchildren, my children, my community, my city. God, in the name of Jesus, will you do something with Baton Rouge? Yes. Amen. Oh, God. He'll do it. But we have to pray in that authority. And you cannot pray in that authority without the Holy Spirit. You can't pray in that authority with the theology of a spirit-filled life. You've got to have a spirit-filled life. It's got to disturb you and move you and transform you in every possible way that you could possibly imagine. So we're called to pray and you're given the Holy Spirit to help you pray. You're given the Holy Spirit so that you can commune with God. You're, you're given the Holy Spirit so that the Father and the Son can actually live in you. You're given the Holy Spirit so he can tell you everything he hears about Jesus. You're given the Holy Spirit so he can tell you and show you everything that he sees about the kingdom of God. Because everything he hears and everything he sees is yours in Christ Jesus. It's yours. Oh, the power of God that is accessible to the church of Jesus Christ. I've heard men say it. 
when we get to heaven. We're not going to ask God why he didn't do more. We're just going to look at the, if you will, the bank accounts that we had free access to that we never used. Holy Spirit, help us use it for your glory and for your kingdom. If we are not, if we are not active in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to whatever degree that is, that the degree of Jesus' kingdom and Jesus' person is diminished. Do you understand that? To the degree that we are not active in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' kingdom and Jesus is unrecognized. Beloved, God has given you His Spirit, not so you can overcome depression, but that you might help millions overcome depression. Authority and the power and the manifestation of God's glory. I'm just going to read a few scriptures in Matthew 5. You can turn there. It's just a. Help us, God, to understand it. Help us, God, to see it. I am so consumed for this in our day. I'm so consumed for it. John said that the light came into the world and the darkness comprehended it not. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The darkness cannot beat the light. Ever. Period. It cannot. The only way for darkness to triumph is if the light hides itself. It's the only way. We thought politics was going to save us. Really? We're going to pray for them because we know they can't. We're going to lift up the name of the only one that can. In him was the life. And the life was the light of men. And he says in Matthew 5 verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city. That's why I'm saying you're the city of refuge. The church of Jesus Christ. Here on Auburn Lane, some on Jefferson Highway, some on Airline, some on Highland Road, cities of refuge in Denham Springs, Walker and Watson, Central, Baton Rouge, throughout our state, throughout our nation, throughout our world, you are the city of refuge. I want to be a city of refuge. And it says that you're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill, it cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light to all that are in the house. So let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
Now, good works are only works which are done in faith. And that we would be a people of prayer and intimacy because of faith. That there's a God who, who wants to be intimate with us. He wants to explain it to us. He wants to tell us. He doesn't want us to go tell God, okay, this is what we're going to do. No, he wants us to sit with him. And he's going to say, this is what I'm doing. And if you want to, you can join me. We say, I want to. And that's why it's so good to have a prayer meeting. Because everybody's not a hand. Everybody's not a foot. Everybody's not a mouth. Everybody's not an ear. And sometimes in the collective corporate prayer meeting, somebody, the prophet, hears God and speaks it. And the body of Christ is able to say, oh, that's the word of the Lord. Amen. This is what God's doing. Because somebody shared that knowledge, that word of knowledge or that word of wisdom, the gifts of the spirit, right? And that's why the corporate prayer meeting is so important. You can't get that in your prayer closet. It's not to say that God won't speak to you in your prayer closet. But when the body of Christ comes together to pray and we're not praying in our traditional ways, but we're praying corporately and together and interceding together and lifting up our voices together and able to speak and edify each other, then the Holy Spirit is able to speak through our life and He is able to build people up and give us faith and help us to understand this is what God's doing in the city. And we can join Him in that and we can watch God do those things in our life. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16, He says this is important about the light. The people which sat in darkness saw great light and to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up. And that's where light goes. It goes to darkness. It goes to the places where people are sitting in the shadows of death. I want us to go to the shadows of death. I want us to go to people that are sitting in darkness. I don't want to just bring people to Jesus who look like me or in other churches. And they just need to get into a different church. I don't want that. I want to go to the places of darkness where people are sitting in because they're too scared to take a step because their life has had nothing but one tragedy after another. And if I take one more step, maybe it's my last. So I'm just going to sit here because I don't know what to do. And I want to be the church of Jesus Christ that goes out there with the light and somebody can say, oh, wow, I didn't know how close to death I was sitting until you came along. And now I can see very clearly that I need to move from this life that I'm in. And I need to get over there where there's safety. And that's what we call repentance. Repentance. What was the light of the world? Jesus. Jesus' life is the light of the world. So we are light in the world because of the life of Jesus in us. And in Acts 26, you don't have to turn there, but this is what Paul said his ministry was. In verse 18, Paul says that God had given me this ministry to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. What authority and what power? Paul said, this is the call of my life. I will open people's eyes. I mean, Paul didn't go out and say, oh, Lord, I pray that you'll let me open somebody's eyes today. I prayed today, God, that you will just use me to turn somebody to Jesus. No, that, Paul wasn't. He never questioned. I will. I will open eyes. I will turn people from darkness to light. So that they can be forgiven by God. I will. Because it is the nature of his life in me. 
It's not what I try to do. It's not by my cleverness. It is his life in me. The Holy Spirit filling the Apostle Paul. Who knew if I'm really living a spirit-filled life, somebody's going to see it today. Somebody's going to turn from their darkness today. It's just going to happen. He's given me the authority and power to do that. And God has given that to you as well. He's given you all of that. The last scripture I'm going to read is in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm talking about the city of refuge, God's house. This is partly what his house should look like. It should be a house of prayer for all nations. It should be intimate with the presence of God. But this is how the house should live. And he says in verse 5, you also are living stones. You're built up a spiritual house. You're a holy priesthood. And your job is to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That's your job. You're born again. That's it. Hey, what am I supposed to do? What's my calling? I want to know what God wants to do. All right. You're part of the house. And you are to offer up spiritual sacrifices in that house. And you're offering them up to God. And they're accepted by God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9. You are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him. Who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In the past you were not God's people. But now you are God's people. In the past you didn't have mercy. But now you have been given. Or you have obtained mercy from the Lord. And so you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a peculiar people. And you should show forth his praises. You should. You should. I should. I should show, that's something you see. I should show forth his praises. Why? Because I want people to know you're in the right refuge. Because we are a group of people in this city of refuge. We fled here ourselves. You see, there was a time in my life I was not his son. But now I am. And there was a time in my life I didn't have mercy, but oh God, how I needed it. And I got in here and now I got mercy. How do you know? Because the praise that comes forth from my life to him. And the old stoic religious. It's how they sing. It's how they worship. It's how they enter. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Where's the showing forth of praise? Where is the testimony and the testifying and the glory of Jesus Christ? So people that are running for their life out of hell and Satan is on their heels and he is chasing them because he doesn't want them to get away. And addicts are praying with all of their heart to a God they need to know for freedom that they're desperate for. Oh, that they would run to this place and they would find the God, the king, the high priest 
who knows what to do. And how do we know that we found that place? How do we know that we found that king? Look at the multitudes who are praising him because he did it for them. And that is the life and the light of his house that shines into the nations and the nations see it. The love of God. The gospel of God, the testimony of God's people, the joy, the peace, the righteousness of the Holy Ghost within a real, delivered, born-again people of God who cannot hide it. I will not hide it. I will not take my light and put it under a bushel. I'm going to set it on the table. I will not take this city and give it a power shortage. I'm going to let the light shine. We're going to be a city on a hill. And the government's going to come after you. And they're going to persecute you. Well, they've been doing that to the Christians in North Korea. And they've been doing that to the Christians in China. Are we going to buckle? For God's sake, no. Because we're going to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the light of God is going to shine. It's going to shine. It's going to be seen. God is going to be known. That is what's going to happen. Don't complain about your church. Don't complain. Don't complain about the people in the church. You're just as awful as them. And I'm just as awful as you. I am in desperate need for repentance. In my life. In my heart. The knowledge of me. In the light of the knowledge of him. I can't wait for an altar. I can't wait to bow myself before God and receive his mercy in my life and the hope of his power to change me and to do something with me. I have never felt more unworthy to serve God in all of my life and yet I can't take a breath from being able to serve God. And God gives supernatural and divine strength to be able to do it. I'm consumed with him. I'm consumed for him. I love Jesus. Years ago, I didn't know that I could love him more. I thought I would die just from bursting for him someday. And I love him more now. I love him. I don't want to hit his church. I don't want to hit you. I don't want to slap his church around. I don't want to live my life. How bad this is. How bad this is. Or you offended me. Or you hurt me. Quit complaining about the church and make it a good place. Make it a place of his presence. You got problems in your church? You bet, but we got a high priest that's taking care of it. You got pain in your church? Yes, we have pain in our church. But we have a God who heals us. A God who restores us and a God who reconciles us. And and the way he treats us, that's the way we treat each other. So we don't have enough time to gossip and slander and walk around in pity. And I'm not trying to be insensitive to the problems that you've got in your life. I I have them in my life. Oh, but i got to lay them down at the altar of Jesus Christ. And I've got to be filled with his Holy Spirit. Because not only do I have an avenue for my pain and my hurt and my problems. But I have a healer and a strength and a promise to go on. For God's sake. For God's sake. For God's sake. That, that should be the only thing that matters to us. Is for God's sake. And whatever things I'm dealing with in my life. This God. That I love so much. Loves me infinitely more. And he's not going to pass by any wound or any pain in my life. And ignore it. 
He's going to give it incredible attention and incredible mercy and incredible healing. I've experienced that in my life. And I'm totally unworthy of it. I pray to you, beloved. I pray to God, but of you. Let's be a city on a hill. Let's be a a city that's a refuge for people that are running for their life. Let's be a people who are characterized and marked clearly as the people of God. As the children of the king. Of people that have been given mercy that used to not have it. Oh God, what mercy does for a person who needs it. And I need it. I need it from you. You need it from me. We all need it from God. It's not that there won't be problems. But the chief thing about the church. It should be the place of his presence. Because we're intimate with him. And it should be denoted by our praise. Because we're his priests. And it's what we get to do. I want you to stand with me. And I just ask you this morning. To prepare your heart. Prepare your life. Consider your life. Just consider it. And I just ask you if you would. Every heart, every life. That would just bear witness. And that would desire to be so full of the Holy Spirit. To be so intimate with God. No, it, it, and what more could we ask or want than to be intimate with Him? But where's your intimacy with God? Would, would you just draw near with me and just a desire that God, I don't want to just understand these things and teach these things and preach these things. I, I want the experience of a spirit.